we may be curious, really curious about the return of Christ, um, but are we really concerned about why he's coming back? And that's what this morning, Christ returned for the chosen. That's what I've, uh, we're going to be talking about this morning. So if you have your copy of God's Word, turn to Mark chapter 13. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 27. And this whole chapter, chapter 13, they call it the Olivet Discourse because Jesus spoke it on the Mount of Olives across the Kidron Valley looking at Jerusalem. It's a beautiful scene, and I've been there, and it's wonderful. And just imagining Jesus sitting there, and he, this is the longest discourse in the book of Mark that Mark records of Jesus' teaching. It's the longest one. Now, Matthew has got them all over the place. He's got the whole Sermon on the Mount and the other stuff. But we may be curious about the return of Christ. And, and in, in verses 1 through 13 of this, Jesus told us, and this was two weeks ago when I preached to you, the gospel has got to go. You've got to get it out. You've got to share it. You've got to spread it. That is the number one thing we're left here to do as the church. So that's what he told us in verses 1 through 13. The gospel is the mission of the church always. And we should let nothing distract us from that. Because souls depend on it, which is what he's going to talk about this morning. This morning. We're going to talk about this morning in these next verses. And Jesus is now going to give some major events that will lead up to or signal, if you will, his return. But even in the midst of those events, his main concern is his chosen ones. And that would be those of us who trusted Christ. Let me read this and then we'll dig into it a little deeper. Starting with verse 14 of chapter 13. When you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand, then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. A man on the housetop must not come down or go in to get anything out of his house. And a man in the field must not go back to get his coat. Woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. Pray it won't happen in winter, for those will be days of tribulation, the kind that hasn't been from the beginning of creation until now, and never will be again. If the Lord had not cut those days short, no one would be saved. But he cut those days short for the sake of the elect whom he chose. Then, if anyone tells you, see, here's the Messiah, or see there, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will arise and will perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. And you must watch. I have told you everything in advance. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened. And the moon will not shed its light. The stars will be falling from the sky. And the powers in heaven will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. He will send out the angels, his angels, and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I just love this passage because it is where our hope, our peace, our faith rest in, that you will send your son back one day. Jesus, we're longing for that return, but we know that it's for a good purpose, the souls of men, that you delay. Help us to see that this morning and how our response to this needs to happen. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So 
like I said, after Jesus made it clear that the gospel is the most important thing the church should be doing, in the meantime, in the time between when he was crucified and ascended to now, now he's going to tell them some events, some important events that lead up to his return for the saints. That would be us. So the gospel goes forth to all the world to save souls, the souls of all humanity. That's why we have to get it out. And Jesus will return to consummate that salvation. See, our salvation isn't complete after you, you've professed it and been baptized. It's complete when Jesus comes back. That's the ultimate completion of our salvation. And we need to look forward to that. But this morning, I want to ask this question. How secure are the souls that are waiting for his return who believe in Jesus? How secure are us? Well, Jesus tells of three cataclysmic events. These are humongous events. Although they're in such few words in the scriptures, I want to expand our minds a little bit and look at how major, how magnificent these events really are. These three cataclysmic events, I'll try not to say that again, that cannot prevent his return for his people. Nothing's going to keep Jesus back. Even some sort of abomination. Look at verses 14 through 20. There's going to be unprecedented tribulations. 14 through 20. When you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand, then those in Judah must flee to the mountains. A man on the housetop must not come down or go in to get anything out of his house. And a man in the field must not go back to get his coat. Woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. Pray it won't happen in winter, for those will be days of tribulation, the kind that hasn't been seen or been from the beginning of creation until now and never will be again. If the Lord had not cut short those days short, no one would be saved, but he cut those days short for the sake of the elect whom he chose. The abomination of desolation. If you've read your Bible very often and you've read the passages in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you've, you've seen that phrase. What, what is that? That's what we all want to know. It also can be written or worded as the abomination that causes desolation. What is this? Well, to be honest with you, Jesus is quoting Daniel. Daniel mentions the abomination of desolations three times. Chapter 9, verse 27, chapter 11, verse 31, and chapter 12, verse 11. He mentions it three times, Daniel does, and Jesus is tagging onto this. He's pointing to this to help the reader understand. It's obviously some horrendous act against God. It's so bad that it's going to trigger a tribulation. Now, what it is and where it is is not really known. Trust me, I took two weeks and read books on this, and nobody can give me a definitive answer. It, but it's bad enough to set off this incredible tribulation. These persecutions, these distresses are going to, distresses are going to come against them, and there's no question about it. Ezekiel describes a statue in chapter 8 of Ezekiel, that was offensive to God, but it didn't say what the statue was. That it was located in the walls of Jerusalem, but not in the temple. So we don't know where exactly this abomination that causes desolation will be. And like I said, much, much has been written. There's one book for, on, the, on the whole chapter of Mark 13. It has eight different possible explanations for the abomination that causes desolation. When I see that many explanations, I go, nobody knows. Nobody really knows. So it's not definitive. 
But let me give you some thoughts here that, that I, I've connected with some things. Okay, so in 168 B.C., and we're going to get a little history lesson here, 168 B.C., there was a Syrian general named Antiochus. He came into Jerusalem, conquering Israel and Jerusalem at that time. He came into the temple, and he desecrated it. He put carvings and idols in there, and then he put another altar over God's altar and sacrificed a pig on it. That was in AD 168, and it was in the second temple, not the first temple that Solomon built. It was in the second temple that was destroyed in 586 B.C. And then, because the Jews protested what he did, he commenced to killing them all. And it was a holocaust against the Jewish people, against the Judaites and those who followed Jewish religions. And it was probably worse than, maybe worse than what Hitler did, maybe not. But th- that particular event in history probably connects to Daniel chapter 9, verse 27 best. Like Daniel was prophesying that event was going to happen. So that was a foreshadowing event of the abomination that causes desolation. But Jesus is talking about something in the future. Now, is he talking near future or far future? Well, let's look at another incident. In 68 AD, after Jesus had died, crucified, rose, ascended, the disciples were writing gospels and letters. There was a, a lot going on during that time. But in 68 AD, the Romans were increasing their taxes on the Jews one more time. So a group of Jewish zealots invaded the temple and desecrated it by their actions and their actions. And it, and it brought such a swift Roman reaction that it sounds like what Jesus is describing. Don't go back in your house to get something. If you're out in the field, run away to the mountains, flee, hide in the caves. So it happened really fast. The Romans came, and eventually that event led to the destruction of this temple in 70 AD by the Romans, by General Titus of the Romans. That event could be connected to Daniel eleven thirty one. When I read it, it sounds a lot like he's, he's, for, he's prophesying that an army is going to come in to Jerusalem. But Daniel mentions it one more time in 1231. And I think both of these previous events, even though one was in Jesus's future or, or after Jesus was gone, I still think Jesus is talking about something much more cataclysmic, much bigger. And I think Daniel 1231 speaks to that. And I'm not going to read the passages. You can go home and read it this afternoon. But they all serve, these historical events to serve as a foreshadowing fulfillment of what Christ is talking about here. But the thing we need to look at is look at the urgency, look at the trouble, look at the difficulty this thing is going to cause. Look down there. A man on the housetop must not go down. They had flat roofs, so they stayed up on the house, top of the house sometimes and get anything out of his house. He literally was told to jump off the roof and run. Now, they had outside stairs and ladders, but he was told not to go back in the house. You do not have time. If you're in the field, working in the field and this happens, don't go back to your house to get your coat. Go to the mountains. Where it's cold, yes, you need a coat, but you don't have time to go get it. Woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers. Those with extra luggage, if you will, extra baggage. I mean, that it, they don't, it's just going to be terrible. They won't have time to prepare for this. So it's got to be some sort of quick ambush-like attack of some sort. Something in God's wrath, I am sure, that will bring it about. And then he says that winter would be bad for the trip, and he speaks that this tribulation is beyond any tribulation before. So we haven't seen this yet. Honestly, we have not seen anything like this. The Holocaust, bad, terrible. 
You know, 9-11 bad, all kinds of things bad. Pearl Harbor bad, nothing like this. Um, matter of fact, this week I noticed in the paper in their day in history anniversaries, there was a lot of volcanoes and earthquakes that happened this day in centuries past that killed 30,000, 20,000 people. This is going to be worse. And Jesus is making it clear that it will never be repeated. It's how bad it is. Now, Jesus is very emphatic in the Greek language where we don't use double negatives in English. At least my English teacher told me that. In the Greek, they use double negatives because they want to emphasize. And in this particular phrase, when Jesus says it will never, ever, 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 ever happen again, he means it. So it's probably a preliminary to his return. It will be terrible. Now, when is this going to happen? I don't know. Jesus tells everybody. Nobody knows. But I'm going to give you some thoughts. Okay, if a third temple is built, and that's a question too, because nowhere in the New Testament does it talk about a third temple being built in Israel. But if a third temple is built, even though God will not inhabit that temple, okay, because we are the temple of God now, our, our hearts, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So God won't inhabit the temple, but they may build this. This is a possible idea. The city, when they do this and when they open it and when they christen it or whatever they do to it, it will probably be a city. Jerusalem will be full of people, full of people. I mean, it'll be millions upon millions. And it will be a great place and great timing for the Antichrist that Paul in Revelation talks about to set up his false religion. It'll be a perfect timing. He shows up. All the people start following him. He proves that God's not in that temple. He probably goes into the temple, and he's not probably going to be a Gentile. I mean, it, it, it could happen. He could capture millions who don't bow down to him and martyr them. So that's one idea of when it could happen and what it might look like. But the thing we need to take to heart right now is that the chosen of God will not all be killed by this. Will not all, they will not all be removed. God intentionally cuts the days of this tribulation short to save a remnant of believers during Christ's return. And this we can find comfort in because God's always in control. He's always in control. No matter how bad it gets out there, he is still in control. We may not like the way he's controlling it, and, and I've had discussions with him about that. We may not like it, but he is in control. He's in control of time, space, and humankind. His hand never leaves the wheel, okay? And God concerns himself here with the physical safety of his children. That's what he's talking about. None of them would be saved if he didn't cut the day short. And he's not talking about salvation there. He's talking about physical safety, physical saving, keeping your physical life. Because he didn't want a complete annihilation of those who were chosen in Christ to, not, to be take completely eliminated physically. Now, God may have, has predetermined the length of days. We don't know what it is. There are some say that it's three and a half years. Some say that it's seven years. Some say that it's 1,290 days. We don't know how long this tribulation will last. We have a lot of speculation. We have a lot of ideas. But after I read for two weeks about this, I couldn't find anybody that could say in a definitive way with good chapter and verse that this is exactly what the length would be. But this is an unprecedented tribulation that will not keep Jesus from finding faithful believers in the world. No matter how bad it is, there will be believers here when he returns. No matter how bad this tribulation gets, God intends to keep some safe. Some of his chosen souls safe for Christ's return. 
a harvest will be seen by all who are here. And that's why we need to proclaim his work, Psalm 105. We need to proclaim the fact that he's going to save souls. You know, there's a lot of safety devices out there today. You know, there's, there's seat belts, there's airbags, there's child safety seats. I don't remember, I never did ride in a child safety seat when I was a kid. You know, all these safety devices. There's kill switches on lawnmowers. If you get off a lawnmower, it cuts off. I was like, that blew my mind. Um, I carried around a concrete block one time when I was mowing, so I'd have something sitting on that seat. So the lawnmower would keep running. There's all these safety devices, and some of this has kept us alive longer. Some of us, it's kept some of us stupid people like me from hurting myself too bad. You know, it's kept us alive, but... It's not going to protect us from the end. There's nothing that's going to save us from eventually dying. We're all terminal. We all will die someday. There's no safety device out there to prevent that. And as a child of God, chosen by him, nothing will separate us from his love. Nothing will separate us from his hand. We need to remember that. And that's what God and Jesus is trying to tell them right now. The abomination that causes desolation, who knows? But it is not going to take a child out of God's hands. And the result of this tribulation, I want you to look up Revelation 7, verses 13 through 17. I want you to look this up and read this along with me. This is the result. This is our victory in Christ Jesus. This is the result of the tribulation. Revelation 7, starting with verse 13. I'm going to read through 17. Revelation 7, 13 through 17. Then... This is John writing, John the Apostle. Then one of the elders asked me, Who are these people in white robes and where did they come from? I said to him, Sir, you know. Then he told me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. The one seated on the throne will shelter them. They will no longer hunger. They will no longer thirst. The sun will no longer strike them, nor will any scorching heat. For the lamb who is at the center of the throne will shepherd them. He will guide them to springs of, wa of the waters of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I'm looking forward to that day. I don't know about you. I'm looking forward to the day that he takes care of us like that. He's promised to and he will. So it's a, that's a glorious description. There's many more like that in Revelation. You know, if nothing else, you read the book of Revelation, you come away confused. Read it for the, the glory of God that you see in there, the things he's going to do for us. It's a glorious description of eternity with God. But in the meantime, what are we supposed to do? That's the question I want us to talk about this morning. Many today are in despair about this world. Okay, Many are worried and frantic about what's going on in the world. Some of them are frantic in the wrong directions, but they're frantic. Everybody's in despair. The cultural shifts that we've seen over the last 10 or 15 years, the, the, the rules that have been changed, the rights that have been lost, the overreach of government, we talk about that too. The, the sexual dysfunction, the disregard for God's order, all that's creating havoc in our world because no one's clinging to God. And we, unfortunately, we'll lose our composure over some of these things. We, we lose our, as some people used to say, I lost my religion over that issue sometimes. You know, because fear grips us and, and drives us to do things and say things we shouldn't say. I mean, some of the social media out there about this, all this stuff is just ugly. Even from some Christians. 
It's just nasty. We, you know, it's not even worth your time. But the fear that grips people, the pride that blinds people, and even blinds us to think, oh, we've got it all figured out. We really don't. So why, this is a question we really need to ask ourselves, why are we worried about material privileges instead of the souls that are destined for hell because they don't claim Jesus? They don't know him. Our hearts should break over this, brothers and sisters. Our hearts should break over the fact that there are people out there that are going to go to hell. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But Jesus told us the gospel's primary to get it out, to share it. And now he shows us why. See the souls that need it. Souls are his focus at the end. He makes it clear in these, these verses. Souls are his focus at the end of time. And when he comes, he'll come to gather his church, his people of every color, creed, language, tribe. He's not coming to claim nations, governments. He's coming to claim people. That's his church. His church is made up of people. doesn't matter where you descended from or who you descended from. And we should want, as the church of Jesus Christ, we should want as many people to go with us when he comes as we can get. We need them to understand that they need Jesus. We need them to accept him. So we need to tell the gospel. Jesus saved you and he saved me to carry forth that message. This message. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And if we're too busy defending our rights or, or trying to, to speak up for our opinions and not speaking to the lost the gospel we're wrong and actually we may be lost if we're not sharing the gospel with people because it's the greatest news in the world why wouldn't we want to share that and i'm just as guilty as anyone okay i'm not speaking up here as someone who's mastered it yet but i'm praying every day for god to make me and you lights to this community and to the world Lights, beacons of hope, because they need hope. They have no hope. They, some of them don't realize they don't have any hope. They don't have any hope. We need to be, as we sang earlier, lighthouses. Lighthouses. You know, if this experimental republic that we live in here dissolves tomorrow, for whatever reason, I want to be found telling the world about that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's what we need to be involved in. When the authorities come to shut our church down, I hope they find us doing just that, if that happens. I don't know that it's happened. I'm not, made, I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet. But the purpose of the gospel is to tell people there is hope in Jesus Christ in the end. God cares about souls. We need to care about souls. There will be an unprecedented tribulation. And it won't keep Jesus from gathering his children, his chosen. And neither will these fake messiahs that Jesus is warning them about. Amazing, they're amazing though, false messiahs. Look at verses 21 through 23. If anyone tells you, see, here is the messiah, see there, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophecies, prophets will arise and will perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. And you must watch. I have told you everything in advance. So Jesus again tells them of these fake messiahs and these fake saviors, those who will claim that they're Jesus 
incarnate. There Jesus returned. David Koresh was one of those that have tried it recently. Uh, Jim Jones back in the 70s did it. And during such deceptive events, evil people, during this tribulation, evil people will attempt to usurp the throne of God and the position of Jesus. They will attempt to do that. They will attempt to show that they are the ones that people need to be trusting in. That's, that's one of the ways I believe the Antichrist will get his foothold in the world. And many will follow these. Matter of fact, some have already have followed some false messiahs. 700 people committed suicide when Jim Jones led them down to South America. They will be fooled into trusting them for eternity, for eternity's sake. And those without the Spirit of God to guard their hearts will be dragged away to these snake oil shysters. They will. The sh these charlatans will even have amazing and unexplained powers, signs to demonstrate their fake power. It shouldn't, it shouldn't confuse us, okay? How, how will they have supernatural powers? Well, Satan's got power. He just doesn't get to use it until God says so. Go read the book of Job, chapter 1. Until God says so, Satan can't use that power. But he will allow him to help these people create a false persona of signs and wonders that looks like supernatural power that people will think it is God, but it is not. And this could be how the Antichrist and the anti-prophet, I call him, lead us away, lead so many away. God gives lost souls over to their delusions, to the delusions of these false and antichrist. These illusions will be very convincing, and they would be so convincing even maybe to lead astray those who are chosen, which is us, the believers. If that were possible, Jesus says, which it's not. If you're a true believer of Christ, you may get distracted. You may get led astray momentarily, but not to the condemnation of your own soul. When Jesus grasps us, we, he has us, okay? If you're a believer in Christ Jesus, he has you, and we need to hang on to him as well. But if we get led astray, it will impact our effectiveness to take the gospel to the world, and those souls will be forever lost. You know, Satan loves to distract us. He loves to, to derail our efforts to follow Christ, and that's what God's going to allow him to do in the world is to distract and derail but Jesus finishes this, this whole verses, 1 through, uh, 1 through 22, basically. He finishes this with a warning again. Watch. Watch. That's a command. It's not a, a suggestion. It's in the imperative form of the word. Watch. Be alert. It's a command. He's not suggesting just to be careful. <laughs> oh, well, we'll be careful. I know how many times I've said that. I'll be careful and then went off and did something dumb and hurt myself. But we need to be watching out and looking for evil at every turn. We don't need to call everything evil, but we need to be watching for it. If it doesn't line up with the Word of God, we need to be careful. And we need to watch out. And we need to take steps to stop it from affecting us. And not just externally, but right here. So many times in our own heart, we can get confused about what's right and wrong. And if we don't know our Bible, which I'm going to talk about in a minute, we get drug, drug away and enticed to sin. These demonic imposters that are going to come, they'll be very convincing and they will be incessant. And they will probably be all over the news and all over the, the TV and all over social media. They'll be everywhere. 
And they'll claim, 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 they're the Savior. They're the ones to follow. But see, we have clues. We have clues. We have clues. They're contained right here. From Genesis to Revelation, we have information. Because Jesus said right here, he has told us everything. He's told us everything. He has given us very clear guidance on how to recognize the fake, the artificial. And so Jesus, he spoke clearly and he spoke directly about this. And it was enough to keep them from wandering away, no matter how amazing the stunts are. I imagine that at some point when the apostles, the ones who were still living, which most of them I think were dead by the time the Romans destroyed the temple, I'm, I'm sure some of them were wondering, well, wait a minute, is this, is that, you know, and they never gave up. They continued. They continued on and on preaching the gospel. No matter how amazing the stunts are, we don't have to be fall, fall for them. I had a friend in college. His name was Dick Steinberg. He was a, a converted Jew. His family was Jewish, but he was a believer who lived next door to me in an apartment building. Dick was an illusionist, otherwise known by secular terms as a magician. But Dick was an illusionist, and he would do sh small shows, but he would, he would tell the, the audience at the end of the show, the world will trick you, but Jesus will never trick you. Jesus will never trick you. Jesus doesn't play sleight of hand. He doesn't have rigged tricks. But there's always an explanation for it. Jesus tells us that we know everything to keep our hearts on track. These amazing false messiahs will have no effect on those who are following Christ and reading his word. His word guards against us. Jesus even tells us that many will come and claim wonders as proof of their eternal salvation. We need to watch out. In Matthew 7, Jesus is preaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says this. Jesus says this very thing. On that day, meaning the end, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You workers of lawlessness. Boy, that's, that's, that's cold water. That's harsh. But he's going to say that to people who look like they're believers, who've acted like they're believers, who've done amazing things. And Jesus is going to say, I, I never knew you. Because they're doing it for the wrong motives and with false intentions. They don't know Jesus, and so Jesus doesn't know them. And there's many pretenders already out there today. Sometimes it's a person, sometimes it's an ideology, and some even works, some even can do works in Jesus' name, perhaps. They say there are anyway, but they're not. Jesus says we all need to know, Jesus says we know all we need to know. What could that mean? Because I still have questions, like what is an abomination of desolation? I still have questions, but we know all we need to know. And that's always the, the, the truth of the scripture. The clarity of God's word is that we, we know what we need to know from it. And the more you read it, the more you'll know what you need to know. God's word, the Bible, covers all we need to know. He told us what he expects, and he told us what to do. God's word eliminates the distractions and detractors from our lives if we just follow it. If you read this word and you listen to it and you let your heart absorb it, it will protect you from the distractors, from the liars, 
from the cheats. Here's a couple of examples. There are fake faith healers out there. I have a feeling that God does still heal. I've seen it. (laughs) But I don't think he does it in such a flamboyant way anymore. So someone like Benny Hinn, I don't know if you know that guy, um, he doesn't really heal. His nephew, Costi Hinn, is a believer, and he has exposed Benny Hinn in many different ways. I, f- I follow Costi on some different things. He's written many books on it. You can look him up. But the point is, is that he, he was on stage with Benny Hinn, and Benny wasn't healing anybody. He was just acting like it. And it all depended on your bank account. So I'll let you think on that. And then an example of an ideology, uh, ideology distraction. One of the ones today going on is sexual orientation. Sexual orientation debates in church denominations. Now, if there's anything clear in Scripture, it's that. There are two, only two, male and female. That's the two he intended to get together. But we've allowed this LGBTQ plus thing versus a sin to be debated. Is it a sin? Is it a sin? Well, is it really, you know? Allowing homosexual clergy or performing homosexual marriages in churches, condoning that, violates God's design and God's word. God's rules, not mine. And if we follow and we read this book, we will know it it violates that. But there are denominations out there that are allowing it, and it's distracting. It's an argument. It creates such a fuss inside their denomination and even crossing denominational lines and, and other lines of religions to the point where we take our eyes off the gospel and we take our eyes off the souls of men. And that is just wrong. Stick to the Bible. These types will not lead you astray to condemnation if you know your Bible. Jesus told us everything. Peter writes, Here's what Peter writes in 2 Peter 1, 3. Seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. When we look into the true knowledge of Jesus Christ, we won't be distracted. We won't be drug away. We will see clearly what tries to lead us astray. We, if we follow Jesus and not the pretenders by keeping our noses in this book and not social media, not other books, not other ideas, keep your nose in your Bible, we will not be led astray. Because his word never passes away. Right? Right. Okay, so I'll get off that horse and we'll move on. Tribulations and amazing fakers will not prevent the chosen from reaching heaven. Jesus will return for us. And that's what's going to happen in the cosmic disturbances. These things that happen in verses 24 through 27. Let me read it for you. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will be falling from the sky and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. He will lead out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. You want to know what Jesus' return looks like? Right there. It's exactly what it's going to look like. This is not metaphorical. This is real. This is real. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the creator of the universe, will step back into time and space. When he steps back in, it will be a cosmic disturbance. 
It will be a cosmic disturbance. What will happen? Well, he tells us the sun will be darkened. The sun will be darkened. We've read many times in Scripture and seen many times where the sun is like it's, it's like nighttime. I mean, the light, automatic lights come on sometimes when it's cloudy before a thunderstorm, even though it's noon. You know, it gets that dark. This is not that kind of cloud, okay? This is something that blocks the sun of the light, the sun's light. So when Jesus steps back into our universe, there will be a cloud in space of some sort. Somehow it's going to darken the moon's light. It's going to darken it. And when it darkens the moon, sun's light, the moon's light is shut out. Y'all realize the moon gets its light from the sun, right? That's not new. You should have gotten that in seventh grade science class. But. So it's, it's going to be a space event. I mean, we've got a new telescope that looks way out into space now. And man, some of the pictures are just glorious. They're amazing. And I think of if Jesus comes through that wormhole or that place or Oh, man, what's he going to do to all of those stars? They're going to fall. They're going to move. He is going to disrupt the orbital patterns of stars. He may, even by his presence, force asteroids into the atmosphere, which will get all the stars falling. He's trying to describe it in a way that they will understand. They don't even know anything about outer space. We do. But that's what's going to happen. The orbit of stars is going to be disrupted. He brings the force of the creator back into our reality. This is the, the creator who called something out of nothing. Now imagine that kind of power. Now these powers that are shaken in heaven, they could be the demonic forces out there that I think are creating this alien obsession we have lately. These things that people are seeing and these, these videos that are out there, some of them might be real, but I think there is something to Satan being involved in this. And Paul talked about it in Ephesians chapter 6, that these these principalities and these powers of the air, and it could be, but that's just my opinion. I have no proof. But it's just amazing how many things. But Jesus will disturb all of this when he returns. He will disturb it all. And it's not when, it's, I mean, it's when, it's not if, the Son of Man, he will be coming in the clouds. Now, they had no idea of what a space cloud looked like, so he just used the word clouds. They probably didn't even have a word for what we would call a gas cloud in space in the Greek. He will be coming in the clouds, and he will be coming with great power and glory. Great power and glory. He will come, and he will be seen. And it will be an event more spectacular than meteor showers and more spectacular than the northern lights and more spectacular than a meteorite coming into our atmosphere. It will be more powerful than black holes forming. It will be more powerful than a hypernova. You probably don't even know what a hypernova is. I didn't either until I looked it up yesterday. I'll explain in a minute. When he comes, no one will doubt it either. No one will doubt that that was Jesus Christ coming. They may not understand it. They may not believe it. They may not even care. But they will have no doubt. But he is not coming for everyone. He is coming for the chosen, the elect, those of us who are born again, those of us who have professed faith in Christ Jesus, those who have been washed by the blood of the Lamb, those whose souls have been regenerated to trust in God Almighty, the ones who have had their heart of stone taken out and their a heart of flesh put in. That's who he's coming for. And not one of his chosen will be left here. That's beautiful. <laughs> you can't hide from God no matter where you are. 
Not one will be left here. Not one will be forgotten. No matter where a believer is, Jesus will get him and gather him or her. And here, brothers and sisters, here is our hope, our peace, and our faith. If we base it on anything else, we're just trusting on, on sinking sand and leaning on reeds. Our hope, our peace, and our faith is in the fact that he is coming back and he is going to get us and take us home. He will triumph for us. So what is a hypernova? I want to give you an idea of the power that's out there. When a star, when there's a star out there, 150 times the size of our star, the sun, when it explodes, it releases as much energy in a few seconds as our sun will produce over its entire lifetime. That's a lot of power. And when these explosions happen, they generate beams of high-energy radiation called gamma-ray bursts. I don't care about that, but I did. I thought it was pretty cool. But these gamma-ray bursts are lethal to any human life or any life at all. And some guys speculated this is why we really don't have any aliens out there and we can't find them because these gamma-ray bursts have killed all of them. I don't know. But these gamma-ray bursts are created by this powerful stellar explosion called a hypernova. Yes, Jesus' return will be more powerful than that. More powerful. He, thank God he won't generate gamma radiation, but he will be more powerful than that because that's how important our souls are to him. Okay? He didn't die on a cross and go through that agony just to leave us here abandoned. He cares about us. I want you to see the victory as John describes it in Revelation 17, 14. He says, these will wage war against the lamb and the lamb will overcome them. Because he is the Lord of lords and king of kings. And those who are with him are the called and chosen and faithful. I hope that's describing you. If it's not, we've got to talk. I hope that's describing you, the called, the chosen, the faithful. Our Savior, pierced for our sins, buried for our crimes, raised for our justification, will come back for us. We're not abandoned. We're not left here. I want you to notice in these verses we've looked at this morning, three times he tells us that he's coming back for the chosen. He's protecting the chosen. He's coming for his children. Jesus returns for those who trust in his sacrifice, for their eternal salvation. That's his focus here. Now, the details of Christ's return and the end of time, I mean, yes, we've still got questions. What kind of millennial is it? When is the millennial? What happens in the middle and the beginning and the end of the millennial reign? Is there a rapture? That word's never used in the New Testament. It doesn't mean there's not one. It just means that it's all up in the air. But that doesn't matter to us. It shouldn't matter to us. Jesus comes back for all who believe the gospel. So what do you think our focus should be? Get the gospel out. If you think Jesus saved you and left you here for your own pursuits, you're mistaken. He left you here to propagate the gospel in whatever way or form we can find to do it. Whether it's reading scripture on the triangle or praying at the school or sending missionaries or going, as Emily Petty's going, all of those things matter. And that's what he's left us here to do. He wants you to speak, to sow the gospel. He wants you to do that. He put a new heart in you so you would talk about Jesus. Now, what if he doesn't gather someone? What if someone doesn't get gathered when Jesus returns? Well, that's sad. 
Here what, here's what John writes. He says, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he, has, he was thrown into the lake of fire. It does not sound like a pleasant place to be. Lake of fire? Hell, we call it. A lake of fire of torment. It awaits all who refuse to believe in Jesus for eternal life. And what's that like? Well, John has even a vision of that. He says, we'll be, they will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day or night. Look, you can believe this or not. It is your choice, okay? But I promise you it's true. I promise you it's true. Jesus died to keep souls out of hell. That's why he died. He died to keep souls out of hell, to give us eternal, eternal rest and peace. Not temporary, not short-lived. It's eternal. We will never have a stressful day in heaven, ever. I love that. We will never have a stressful day in heaven. We'll never want to pull our hair out at our kids or or boss, or whatever. But Jesus will return for his chosen. Whether we see it in this life or next, it will happen. I've come to the realization it probably won't happen before I die. Maybe it will. My dad thought it would happen in 1985. He was told that by somebody who'd study Revelations. I was kind of sad because I wanted to experience marriage and college and you know those kind of things, but obviously that didn't happen either. Forty-something years later. Jesus will return, but what are you going to do? That's the question that's on, our, on us today. If you don't know Jesus, I want you to trust Jesus today, right now. I want you to come see me after the service. I want to talk to you about it. I want to explain how you can trust the most wonderful Savior in the world. Jesus makes it clear in these passages that at the end of time, he will return for the souls of those who believe him, the chosen, and nothing will interfere with that fact. That's the summation of this. So one day the trumpet will sound, as the song goes, for his coming. One day the sky with his glory will shine. Glorious Savior, this Jesus is mine. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. One day he's coming. Oh, glorious day. Let's pray right now for our mouths to be open about the gospel. Let's ask Jesus to help us tell people about Jesus, for souls to trust him for eternity. We'll have a time of pastoral prayer. If you want to come to the front and pray, do that. We'll have a time of silent prayer, and then I'll close this out.